from the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. I got my second Pfizer shot on Monday at a mass vaccination site in a metro station parking lot run by a few branches of the military and FEMA. They're jabbing a few thousand arms a day in a huge series of tents that feels like a triage scene in a disaster movie. I felt happy the moment after the shot itself, but my biggest moment of relief came walking out of the last tent in a never-ending line of vaccinated people heading back to their cars or to the train. I'm glad I was vaccinated with so many hundreds of other people instead of just by myself in a drugstore. The experience reminded me that my own personal immunity to this awful virus is extremely nice, but it's not the most important thing. Our shared immunity is what really matters, which is what will let us all have shared experiences again. This is the big point the author John Green makes about vaccinations in a recent episode of his podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, which I highly recommend. The return of more normal life feels close now, at least here in the US. I know I'll feel tempted to dive back in, to schedule gatherings and buy concert tickets and try to make up for lost time. My guest today, Dr. Deborah Mooney, suggests a more slow-paced return to normal. Any change is stressful, she told me when we talked recently, even good change. Dr. Mooney has a doctorate in psychology and serves as the vice president for mission and identity at Xavier University in Cincinnati. She just wrote an article for America Magazine headlined, Anxious About Returning to Regular Life? Six Jesuit Discernment Tips for the Post-COVID World. I love the way Dr. Mooney combines her psychological training with deep Ignatian knowledge in the article. St. Ignatius had an astute psychological mind after all, ahead of his time in how well he understood our emotional life. Dr. Mooney and I went deeper into all six of her points from the article, and I left our conversation feeling so much better equipped for the next stage of our lives. Don't forget to subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Well, Dr. Deborah Mooney, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, sure. It's a snowy, snowy spring day in uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, I do not like this turn we've had recently. I think out, like the eastern half of the country, even <laughs> I get out west some. Uh, a little too frosty, though I also complain when it gets to be like 85 degrees in April, which it sometimes does here in the D.C. area, at least. So um, I don't know. We'll see. We, 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 as I was just saying before we recorded it, we have three young kids. So when the weather's nice, you throw them outside, which <laughs> very much helps. Um, but uh, they're, they're kind of stuck on yes. days like today. Um, yes. It's so, the beautiful snow. Yeah. The flowers like, and snow. Yep. The flowers and Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like, you know, violating God's law or something. <laughs> this shouldn't be. But uh, anyway, we're indoors now comfortably, and I, I'm excited to talk to yeah. you about a recent piece you had on uh, in America Magazine, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But maybe first you could uh, just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and uh, the work you do at Xavier. Yeah. Well, I uh, grew up in uh, Seattle, Washington, uh, went to the University of Washington. I was a swimmer. And uh, while I don't mean to go through my whole life, I think that's kind of important because that is my perspective, um, um, exercising and, and staying healthy. Um, 
I majored in psychology. I then went to Idaho and Florida and then settled in Carbondale, Illinois, where I was married. I had three kids and I attended um, Southern Illinois University and got my doctorate there. Um, I did my pre and postdoctoral work in psychology, working with um, students in counseling centers, but also since it was a very rural area, I always reminded people that we were closer to the Mississippi border than we were to Chicago. That's how long a state Illinois is, um, and Southern Illinois is south. Um, that uh, it was working in rural psychology. I think I was the only person in the day um, for a while that was available on a, um, like an outpatient counseling in the whole county of the only female licensed psychologist in the whole county. So anyway, that gives you a, a little bit about my background, but because I had done so much of my work um, and including my doctoral work with uh, focusing on college students, my dream job was to work in a college counseling center. And uh, my husband, um, grew up in Philadelphia. And so we were ready to move to a city that was a little bit larger, closer to uh, Seattle, Philadelphia kind of feel. He uh, ended up with a position in the Cincinnati area. Z Xavier at the time, Xavier University in Cincinnati was looking for a psychologist and wellness coordinator, which was my, it was my calling, my specialty, my concentration within like clinical psychology was health psychology. So I really felt like that position was was for me. And in fact, uh, when I was interviewed, uh, I can still remember one of the questions was, we've never had a wellness coordinator. We don't really know what it is. What do you think wellness is? Uh, which I, I've never forgotten because they knew they wanted something, someone who could do that, but didn't know quite what it was. So. My real short definition of wellness is it's above and beyond the absence of illness, right? So we often think of it being binary, but there is something kind of even more so. And today we might call it thriving. That's become a pretty popular term. But at the time, 22 years ago, um, that was something kind of new. So there I am now working in a uh, university, the sixth, my, in my dream job, it's the sixth oldest Catholic university in the country, the uh, fourth Jesuit Catholic um, university. I knew nothing about the Ignatian tradition when I started. And even again, during that interview, it was, you don't need to know anything, but you're gonna learn, but how does it connect? And I was able to, and I, I certainly studied Xavier University before uh, I interviewed and before I applied. And I knew that it connected with um, strongly with my psychological um, beliefs and thoughts and perspectives. Um, got my dream job, followed into the uh, heels of a woman who was on a, I think it was called the Wellness Committee. It was headed by Father George Traub, who at the time he was really the first Jesuit at Xavier to start engaging lay people in the mission. And uh, he, so he had a committee to help out and I was asked because I was kind of following that person. And uh, at the time that I joined, they were looking for a person to also be a, um, I think it was associate director to work with Father Traub. Um, and they were really looking for a faculty member. 
And so every once in a while, I would be passing him on campus. I'd say, oh, how's it going? And how's the, the search going? And oh, fine, fine. And one day he uh, scheduled an appointment to meet with me in my office at the Health and Counseling Center. I was so such a mystery. And you know where this is going now, but I had no clue where this was going. Enough that... Uh, after I met with him, I called my husband because, again, it was such a mystery. And I said, uh, he asked me to work with him in mission and identity work at Xavier. And I, sa I said to my husband, I'm flattered, but of course I'm going to say no. And my husband said, why? And uh, long story short, I was in my dream job for about two and a half years. And now I've been in my new dream job for, I've been serving as the chief mission officer for 13 years. I was, I have been working in this capacity uh, for about 18 years. So that's, that's my background. And I think you can see how uh, this, this article about using Ignatian tools uh, in a post-pandemic world is just a sweet spot for me. <laughs> so, yeah. So to think that you had a dream job and then like maybe being offered something else, like what was that, <laughs> that like transition? Like, did you feel like a sense of loss having to give that up or did you immediately see how you could use your, your gifts in this, in this different way? Well, I really think of it as, and maybe I didn't even have the terms at the time and the, the, the concept, but it was certainly an Ignatian discernment <laughs> um, in that, one of the things that I like about the tradition, um, especially around the decision-making is it's an invitation to do the pros and cons, which at a university, the, the intellectual capacity, that is very natural and normal. But what I like the uniqueness is to really also focus on the affective or the emotional or what is your heart saying? What is your gut? What is the intuition? What is maybe God saying, speaking to you? And uh, it was one of those where every time I would say, yeah, but, yeah, but it just seemed kind of right. It just seemed right in its strangest way. Um, so that is really, an, for me, my most profound experience of a discernment was, was that change. Yeah. So, and it really, I think, uh, leads so nicely into us talking about your recent piece in America, which brings together the Ignatian discernment tradition, some bigger Ignatian spirituality questions, and some, you know, just best practices, some key psychological insights. It really does feel like, again, you, you brought those together uh, in, in your work and in this piece in a nice, succinct way, which I really liked, which is uh, why I reached out to see if you would come on and talk some about it. So the, the piece is called... Anxious about returning to regular life, six Jesuit discernment tips for the post-COVID world. So we'll get into the six tips. But first, I'm just curious, what, what prompted you to write the piece? What, what were you noticing that you thought like, oh, actually, now is a good time to, to write something like this? Yeah. Well, interestingly, you know, I think we've all done things that have helped us to cope with being in lockdown. And I've actually, even more recently, as I've been thinking about this, there's almost an early lockdown phase and a later lockdown phase. Um, so much so that I think someone in a tweet relatively recently said something like, I feel like we're we're, re we're going back to our learn baking bread phase of <laughs> COVID or lockdown. And I really could relate to that because it does seem like there's been phases. But anyway, one of the things that I found myself doing is doing a little bit more writing than I have typically done. And I 
that might be just the, the time to be able to think um, and draft some stuff. So tangibly, part of it is I have been writing a little bit more, but more importantly, as you know, you can't turn on the TV, you can't open your iPad or uh, listen to an iPod or, uh, um, or a podcast or any media without hearing about the mental health challenges uh, that are that are happening right now. And for instance, you know, I, since I work with college students, there was a, a recent survey that was presented. Like I said, every day there's one, but one that really struck me. Um, they looked at about 700 students across the country and asked about stress, fatigue, sleep challenges, et cetera, et cetera, boredom, you name it. And 95% of the students responded that they had that experience. Now, when you see that list, the it's not surprising, but to actually see 95% is really kind of startling. 20% um, of those students also had a loss of friend or family because of COVID. That's another, when you see those numbers like that and think of these as people, um, it's striking. I also think that part of this is coming from my own experiences. Everyone was excited that we've got the vaccination, we've got the vaccines and they're effective and naturally we're excited. But I also started recognizing that, and again, for myself and others, <laughs> in myself and others, that come to realize it's not gonna be however you wanna think of it, rainbows and unicorns and sunshine and flowers after the second vaccine and after that two weeks, there is gonna be a lot of change and change is always stressful, even positive change. But I think that there's gonna to continue to be stress. So much so that I think people are now kind of wondering, are we going to be entering a psychological pandemic? And I felt like writing this because the Ignatian tradition does offer, the Ignatian spirituality offers us tools to help with the re-entry process. So I thought it's really important to be aware that things may not instantaneously become wonderful because if you expect that or you think that's gonna happen, it's really gonna be negative, right? So it's almost better to be a little bit prepared for what's going to happen. What is re-entry going to be like? How can I help that become smoother? So that's that's the background to that. Yeah. So in this piece, bringing these things together, like again, some of these, you know, some things you know from your psychological work, some things you know from your Ignatian work. I'm just wondering if you like to go back to as you were, you know, maybe just arrived at Xavier and you didn't know much about Ignatian spirituality or, or the spiritual exercises, you start to learn about it. Do you remember like as a psychologist seeing things in these 500 year old documents and thinking like, oh, this guy, like he was tuned into something like he, he got something maybe in a way that was unique for his time ahead of his time. Uh, are there any examples of things? Because I think of Ignatius as like very practical and it feels like, you know, still applicable today ahead of his time. But I'm just curious for you as someone who had that training coming into it, um, were you struck by that as well? 
Yeah. Well, that idea of decision-making, you know, some people kind of boil down his spirituality to a, a, a spirituality of choice. That might be a little bit narrow, but it's really interesting. And that idea of doing more than just pros and cons, just more than the rational and paying attention to more, you know, whether you can, to include emotions, to include the divine God um, is, is very useful. Um, it's cognitive for those that have their, remember their psychology, a, a very cognitive behavioral approach, I guess you could say, call it that. The other thing that I really, really like is his emphasis, in many ways, his emphasis on self-awareness, right? Um, Chris Lowney in that very popular book, gosh, I guess we're coming up on maybe even two decades, 15 years, but uh, hero heroic leadership, best practices for a 400 year old company. And he talks about what was effective for the Jesuits and Jesuit leadership. And the very first thing he writes about is self-awareness self-awareness along with ingenuity, um, love, and heroic leadership, or heroic uh, heroism, um, heroic ambition to serve others. Um, but that idea of self-awareness, what's really interesting, I think, as well, is um, some people believe that modern spirituality is self-awareness. Again, that, that might be narrow, but if that is helpful to people of thinking about it, I'm all for it. Um, leadership, looking at um, leadership's qualities and characteristics and enhancements. Many people believe that self-awareness today, self-awareness is the meta skill of the 21st century. Um, and there he was 500 years ago, focusing on self-awareness. And I just always really quite simply think of Ben Franklin's quote of, uh, Ben Franklin has said, there are three things that are very difficult, or very hard, diamonds, steel, and to know oneself. And so Ignatius's emphasis on really understanding who you are is very modern, is very modern as well. Um, and then I, I kind of think of his take, a, a, a third um, take is in psychology, we might look at it as existential in that we have purpose, our lives have purpose and meaning. But that idea that we are, Ignatius's view of, we are loved. And while that can be said in just a few words, to really believe that and feel that and know that takes a lifetime. <laughs> um, and so so I think all of those three things together. I, I can remember uh, the, the late uh, Father Jean Carmichael would often say, people just want to be loved. And uh, there's so much truth to that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm actually going through the, the 19th annotation of the spiritual exercises now, which again is a way that Ignatius lays out. If you can't do the 30 days uh, in a, you know, at a retreat house or off by yourself, uh, you can do it in your everyday life. And uh, moving into the, the fourth week right now, this Easter time, which is really essentially just, they talk about the contemplation uh, to attain love or to, for divine, toward divine love and just the sense of just sitting and trying to kind of place yourself and sitting in front of this God who loves you and who works on your behalf and who gives you so many things. And then 
kind of what is our response to that kind of as this grateful recipient how do we then what do we then give back to god how do we serve god and, and others um so and i see a lot of the, these these themes echoed in your piece and i want to now i want to run through it and talk about your six points briefly yeah. yep. and just ask you a little bit about them we'll link to the um the article itself in our show notes so if people haven't seen it they can maybe read along if they want or, or read it afterward but uh so your, your first bullet point identify the positives during the pandemic and i can tell you i saw that and my immediate thing was like oh no like the positives like this is i've been trying to do that but like it's it's also hard because i want to like own that this is a difficult time there's real pain and suffering here but there have been some things that are good so like for for you like how do we how do i why did you why did you want to start there i guess first of all and then how do we how do we do that in a way that still honors the real trauma that we've experienced yeah well, it's interesting that you say that. And in, in hindsight, if I were to do it again, I might have, instead of saying the positives, I might have said, recognize the gratitudes. And there's a difference. You know, there is a difference. I love uh, Father uh, Walter Burkhart's phrasing um, that Ignatian spirituality is a long, loving look at the real. So by no means do I think to be that I think there's an invitation to be Pollyanna-ish about the stresses in our days, major and minor and, and, and all. So, but I think that that's so easy um, to recognize that the gratitude, but the gratitudes are important and they really are um, significant. I say that because it has become very popular. That could also be maybe something that's from the tradition, but is still very contemporary. I mean, people are really, social scientists are truly studying people who focus on gratitudes. And it's certainly Ignatius's daily examine helps us to do that, focusing on where you felt closer or further from God in your day. Um, but people that focus on gratitudes um, internally, we are more happy we're more optimistic interpersonally or socially. We're more empathic. We're more likely to be helpful to people. And it even helps us kind of physically. People that focus on gratitudes are more likely to stick to an exercise plan, sleep well, have lower blood pressure, choose healthy foods. I mean, it really is a a miraculous thing that we can turn to from the Ignatian tradition and tools. So gratitudes are real important. I probably put that very first as well because that really helped me. Um, I, I too had that feeling in the morning of fatigue. It wasn't tired, but you know, you wake up and I think I'm too tired. I don't want to get out of bed, but then I'm also so bored. I don't want to stay in bed, you know, that, that feeling. Um, so focusing on gratitudes really helped me. Uh, for some people, it was the baking bread phase. For me, it was really emphasizing for me the gratitudes. I also have to say in my position, um, I happen to be um, asked to lead a leadership seminar for some of our senior leaders on campus this past fall. And it was to look at leadership through the lens of the Jesuits' universal apostolic preferences. And you may know those are the the lens from which we're invited to think of our work, Um, the four lenses, you know, showing the way to God, care for the earth, walking with the poor and marginalized and outcasted, and journeying with youth for a hope-filled future. And I knew 
and it was going to be through Zoom, these meetings, of course. Um, but I also knew that how could you not, how could we talk about leadership without talking about being in lockdown? But I also knew if all we did was talk about being in lockdown, no one was going to come. I didn't want this to be something that people were going to dread coming to. And so it became both. It became an opportunity where we actually started with gratitudes, but in starting the meeting with gratitudes with everybody in the room, it became a pattern and people could still talk about the pain and challenges of the day-to-day -day, of trying to be parenting and teaching, whether college students or your own uh, children or, or whatever the challenges were, the pains, we heard each other's pains, but we also heard each other's gratitudes. People even started bringing in quotes that they saw through the week that had meaning to them. So um, that's a response to certainly didn't mean to ignore the stresses. Um, and in fact, they're very real and we do need to be in touch with them. You know, the psychologist, you have to be aware of your emotions. Um, but sometimes those gratitudes, what are the gifts that God gives us um, is the tool of the Ignatian tradition, right? It's finding God in all things. And those gratitudes are God's gifts. Yeah, and that's it's funny because uh, when I've done the examine with like uh, high school students and previous jobs, by like if you do that with them five days in a row, like on a service trip, by the last day they're noticing them in the moment, right? Which is always the hope of that is that like as you're encountering God in different ways or feeling distant from God, that you're paying attention in the moment and noticing it. And the, this idea of uh, the people you were working with going through this process of kind of doing that examine and then coming with quote things that they're noticing in the week that then connect, it's almost as if they were participating uh, in uh, an examine without without knowing it. Um, yeah. 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 Um, okay, great. So that number yeah. one, identify the positives or at least the gratitudes uh, during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. Number number two, uh, recognize that you have been transformed. So why is that important? Yeah. Um, I, I chose the word transformation too, and I realize it's a strong word. You know, transformation sounds like something totally different, but we, we are coming out of, we're not even out of yet. In some ways, we're still in the midst of a once in a lifetime global pandemic. That is really incredible. So how could we not be changed? And so I invite people to think about that and really reflect on that. What does that mean for me? And how have I been changed? I, I, I kind of do that because for me, that was helpful to be a little bit lighter on myself sometimes. Uh, <laughs> um, I also think it's important to recognize that we did some things, some behaviors that helped us to cope, to cope with lockdown, to cope with the um, to cope with lockdown, to cope with the pandemic, to cope with the fear and the, the concerns and the unknowns. Um, and that some of those things are things that maybe we don't want to continue with. And maybe some of those are things that we do want to continue. You know, I've heard some people call it the new normal. Some people call it the return to normal. I have a feeling it depends on what it is you're talking about and for each person. And so it's helpful to think about, I have been changed, to ask ourselves the question. And it's, for me, it's another way of finding self-awareness. How have I been changed? 
what have I done differently? What do I want? And intentionally, what do I want to continue to do? And what what is it that I may not want to continue to do? <laughs> if this is too personal, you can you can refrain from answering. But I'm just w- wondering for you, if you reflect on your own pandemic life, like how have you been transformed in a little yeah. big way? Yeah. Well, you know, so the little things I did early on, I remember reading something that someone had suggested, take learn something new. That would be a coping thing. So believe it or not, a psychologist here, I signed up for a coding class. It was out of California, um, actually out of Stanford. They called it coding and code in place. And they wanted it to be the, you know, like they thought it that wasn't, wasn't their goal, but they think it was actually the largest coding class, you know, ever. It was free. You, you signed up and, um, that was really kind of interesting to learn something new. Um, but I wasn't, it wasn't all like coding. I'm not going to use it for my really ever, but I'm glad to know now what is coding all about to say that I did it. I did my, my little capstone project. Um, but then I did kind of small things. Everyone's all women are all wearing fake eyelashes these days. I thought I'm going to learn how to wear fake eyelashes. Um, so when I think about being transformed, I said, you know, that's a strong word. I don't necessarily mean that big a thing. I have to say, because I, I did have a hard time getting out of bed, you know, I just didn't have that kind of enthusiasm. I mentioned that I exercise. I was a, a varsity swimmer. I still do some masters uh, swimming um, in uh, non-COVID times. I told myself I was going to exercise, I was going to jog an hour a day. And by hour, I really mean 60 minutes. I look, I watch. It wasn't about distance, but it helped me to, you know, by week, by month three, by month four, even when it was snowing, I'm out there and it just became a goal. But I actually thought sometimes it was very difficult, but for me, it helped me to get up and out and move. That was really important for me and my wellness, my well-being. But I also knew I didn't want to be, um, you know, a prisoner to it. So after I got my second vaccine, that next day, I, I didn't feel like running the whole hour as well, but I really intentionally decided not to because it was something that helped me to continue, but I don't want to continue it afterwards. Something as simple too as having chocolate dessert. Never had chocolate. My husband and I, we we were not really chocolate, really dessert eaters, but we started having a little bit of chocolate. And while it's funny, um, it was just a, a nice little joy. So I think of those as small daily uplifts. Um, can go a long way. You know, it, back in the 70s and 80s. Social scientists were looking a lot at daily hassles and daily uplifts and how important they are for well-being. So those little daily uplifts, those are the light things. I do have to say, Mike, I think that um, it's really helped me with the don't sweat the small stuff. Um, And that is something that I want to continue. You know, we only live once. Um, Try things new. Go for it. Um, what have you got to lose? I think that kind of uh, live life a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Uh, tried, uh, I think that is something that I did do in the midst of lockdown, and I want to continue with that. 
So this leads, I think, pretty nicely to your next point, which is all about habit forming and, and habits, yeah. which yeah. always intimidates me because I do not like habits. <laughs> uh, remember that haste makes waste is your, your point. Um, the sense of like that it takes a while to form habits and it takes some uh, sticking to it. Um, in some ways, as we like return again, as we're all thinking about this in reentry, that it, it might take a while uh, to kind of either get back to habits that we want to resume or start new habits that we seeing are kind of marking this transition with. Um, so I habit forming again, always for me, just like, you know, I, I actually have also started jogging in the pandemic and I, I never had before. And I just decided one day I would, and I've done it like five months straight now, which again is like never happened. And people who know me are surprised. So I don't know where that came from, but I I'm curious about like the practice of habit forming. And I've been trying, I try to read about like, Oh, how do you actually do this? How do you trick yourself into like not going for the late night snack or getting up to exercise? Do I just put my shoes by the door and that will be the way that I, I exercise. <laughs> I've read that in so many articles about uh, habit forming. And sometimes it just feels like it takes willpower. I just do not have. And what what does the literature say about forming habits and like are there any hacks you have you seem like well you were a pretty disciplined person it seems like but what what are some of the ways that we if we struggle with habits we might be able to to commit to them yeah well you know when i hear the word willpower and struggle i'm exhausted before even starting <laughs> <laughs> so mike i would think i would start by saying building on the positives um and i, I again i don't mean that it's interesting that you talked about running. I'm going to go back to that. I was surprised how many people found physical movement. And I'm going to call it that because even the word exercise, people are like, oh, but physical movement really did help people through this lockdown. Um, and I think it's more than just the physical movement because I, I think it, it does. It, I think it's wellness. It's whole body, mind, body, spirit that, you know, and sometimes we don't often focus on the physical aspects. Um, but so, so I think starting small. So, so the reason I said through, through 30, uh, I, I, am, I um, wanted to remind people that a habit takes 60 to 90 days to develop because what we want to do as we uh, leave the pandemic, if there are things that we want to go back to, to remember it's going to take 30, uh, 60, I'm sorry, 60 to 90 days. That long, loving look, that word long is really important. And to allow ourselves to do that again, so that once you get that second vaccine and maybe wait your two weeks, there isn't an expectation that you are now back to where you were a year and a half ago, because already you've been changed, you've been transformed. Intentionally decide what you want to go back to, what you want to keep. And so that word want to keep, I think is really, really important. So when I think of, when I think of the um, remembering haste makes waste, I almost want, thought maybe if I was to reorder, that would almost be first, take your time, but focus on, uh, set, set your plan for post COVID, post-pandemic, to be around what you want and how can you make those wants rather than the willpower and the struggle? Because that doesn't sound like, I, I'm not even sure I could start out on day one if you think about it in that way. So the daily uplifts, what are daily uplifts that you would like to do um, post-pandemic? Um, 
I guess that I guess I would just do a, flip, a little bit more flip on the, the optimism. Sure. Um, and not the tricks. If you need to trick yourself, then maybe that's not a good post-pandemic hope. <laughs> All right, let's look at number four, which is pin, <laughs> pin, pinpoint. No, I think that's that. That's good. That's good. But hey, I, I feel better about myself uh, than I did six months ago. You know, the, the running every day, which is mostly for me. You know, when I get to be outside of the house uh, and I don't have to watch the children and I don't have to work and I don't yeah. have to think about anything besides yeah. whatever. Just yeah. And a half hour running feels like three hours to me. So like that in yeah. some ways has been a benefit. <laughs> so, uh, but no, it's well, been good. And, and so let me be really clear. I, I think that's a terrific, if you want to keep doing that because of all those benefits, do it. But you're doing it because the glass is three quarters full, not half empty. It's almost, it's, you're doing the same thing, but maybe with a different mindset. Sure. Yeah. Okay, number four is uh, pinpoint emotions and desires. So this is, I think, the the section where you really do talk about Ignatian style discernment of spirits um, to figure out like what is, you know, what we want to be doing. We make the what kind of mindset and heart set do we want to be in when we make decisions? Um, what yeah. are the yearnings that we we have? Just paying close attention to. Again, as you're saying, like what what we want, what God might be showing us, how we might be called to to change. So, um, so yeah, what what are some? I just I guess tips yeah. for like figuring out you know where these emotions come from. Are we just like trying to escape something, or is it actually something more positive? Um, why is it important to pinpoint our emotions and desires, and how do we do that? Yeah, well, I. So it's always good. It's part of self-awareness, right? It's to recognize our emotions. So I was really struck by early in the pandemic, um, the notion of a corona coaster of emotions, that those highs and lows and ups and downs in one day. I, I could really relate to that. I think others could really relate to those emotions. And so it's really hard to make some decisions long term when you're, we're still going up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, it, it, within a day. I also think it's really important as we come out of the pandemic to our, allow ourselves time to mourn. And not just, and I'm not just talking about people who have lost, uh, fam, lot, people who have had losses of lives within their family or friend circle, but we've all had minor losses, um, be it activities and times and freedoms um, that we need to allow ourselves time to grieve. Um, I've also noticed that some people are starting to have some, thinking about some major decisions in their life. This time of lockdown, um, be it I've had a friend who is taking a leave of absence from pretty a successful career, a long time successful career, but this has been really difficult and she wanted some time to think. Um, I've noticed uh, another neighbor who's been in a relationship with someone that they kind of thought that maybe they were kind of pandemic pals, but suddenly finding maybe they're more than just pandemic pals. Maybe it's something more serious. Um, and so I really invite people to, again, take the time to allow emotions to settle. And then um, 
I really like Ignatius's use of the application of the senses. He was uh, used his imagination in a very wonderful and creative way, you know, within scriptures, within biblical stories. But we can do that in our decision making. So I invite people first to take time in making a major life decision um, and really think about ima using the imagination. So first paying attention both to rational and the emotive side, but then also using the imagination and putting yourself in that position of what would that be like to have that change? What do you, what brings joy? What might bring fear? Um, and again, taking time with it. I really do think of, you know, we go back to the Ignatius's life story. He's on, he's hit by the cannonball and he has, you know, over a year, year and a half, two years to think about what he wants to do with his life and decided he wanted to not be the punk brawler, womanizer and start imagining himself living the life of the saints and finding comfort, consolation, joy in that. Um, and so th that was the, that's kind of the parallel, I think, about people thinking about making some major changes. Um, take the time, application of the senses, notice highs and lows, what are those, and then asking the next question, what does that mean? Um, what are the, um, the highs and lows, the joys? Um, so ultimately, it leads to consolation, uh, a stronger knowledge that we are loved by God. And I think that leads nicely into your, your next point. Again, as we're making those discernments and reflecting on how God might be calling us to serve him and others, that we don't make those decisions in vacuum, uh, but in dialogue also with people around us, those people who we work with and live with and who love us. And um, and so that is your, your next point is to focus on those you love that, you know, we we might have you know, been with uh, someone else like in our family or friends through this experience and thought we were experiencing it similarly, but could have had very different experiences from them, even if it, again, looked like we were going through similar stuff. So I'm just curious for you, like, what are like good questions that we could ask other people about like, what they need? So like my, my wife, for instance, like we, she and I have seen a lot of each other and you know, over this year, um, what are some questions like I should be asking her? about what she needs to kind of promote her own wellness. Um, what are some things yeah. I should be paying attention to? Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up your wife because I will bring up my husband. And one of the things we are, we've been married for 32 years now. And one of the things that I always keep in mind is that I'm still learning about him. Um, and we kind of take that for granted. We can take that for granted. And again, I, I keep reminding myself and others, we are in the midst of a once in a lifetime global pandemic. And if I always think that I'm always learning new things about my husband, I'm certainly going to start learning about how he has been reacting. Even though we've been with each other, there are ways that we can still learn. So as I said, I was jogging an hour in the morning and I, I still continue, but we often jog together. And so it wasn't, Recently, I did ask him, how does he think he has been changed through the pandemic? So it's just that basic question. 
you learn something. And we don't often just ask people that, you know, uh, what was hardest? What do you what are you looking forward to? What are you scared? What what, what are you not looking forward to? There's a lot of apprehension. Um, and I, I think a lot of it relates to who we are. So, um, you know, introverts have kind of liked um, being a little bit by themselves. Um, and they're fearful of what it's going to be like to be expected to be in crowds and sitting at tables of 10 people eating and having, um, you know, cocktail parties and stuff. That is something that's a little bit frightening, but we don't kind of talk about it. So I think it's the basic questions of what helped you through the lockdown? What was difficult? What are you looking forward to? What, um, what are you a little bit apprehensive about as we change, we go in? to the future. And I say that about my husband, but I also feel like that with my colleagues. We've all experienced this, but we all experience it very differently. So what does that mean for staff meetings? When are we going to, even once the CDC guidelines change, are we going to change immediately? Do we all want to do that? How do we, and I, I haven't gotten to that part yet, but you know, within this next, I know within the next month, we'll be asking each other these kinds of questions. So, so I think just asking, um, What's it been like for you? And it's helpful then because then we can be, the reason this, this is important is not only um, it's helpful, but it, it, we get to learn about each other, but then we can be helpful to that person and being helpful to others, being companions, being people for and with others is helpful to our own well-being, right? It helps us to serve. Um, and so that's another reason um, I think it's important to, to find out about our bubble. I have to say, even um, as I was in the midst of writing this, I was talking to my adult son who, you know, what are you doing in your day? He's heard, heard. But as he heard me talking about writing this, he asked to read it. That's not typical of him. Um, and so I, it's kind of, re, it's been relate. A lot of people have related to, to this concept of we need to start preparing for, for uh, our new normal, our re-entry, our post-pandemic, however you think about it. So, And your, your last step for doing that is uh, rejuvenate in the piece, which I think is a, a good point that like sheltering in place is like, not a restful time, despite it feels like we were not doing anything. You compare it in some ways to like being on a plane or a bus, which I always, I do, I get off a, a plane, my all my in-laws live in California. We fly across the country a lot. Well, at least we used to and get off the plane and be exhausted. Like I was just sitting here for an hour or five hours though. Of course, now it's chasing kids up and down the aisle, but you know, even, in, even in the old days, feeling like that yep. was tired. So I think that again, that, that is, I think kind of counterintuitive that like we're going to emerge from this time and still and be tired in a different way uh, that we need to sort of rejuvenate. So for one, I just thank you for that point as again, I think help will hopefully help us go gently with ourselves and with each other. Um, but just like, so what, what are some of the like rejuvenation tips uh, you might have for as we like gently transition back into like the more bustling life? Yeah. Well, I, I think again, sometimes it's just recognizing that, like you said, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, it's true. And even on vacation, a lot of us can't wait to see family and friends and fly to do it, which is, which is me and I want to do it. But I also realize a lot of times when I do that, I kind of joke with myself and think I need a vacation from a vacation. And so suddenly now in the midst of the pandemic, I'm going to be doing this in a few weeks 
And I realized that is going to be exhausting. It is not going to be rejuvenating. And so these are questions I'm asking myself, what's going to be rejuvenating? And just like the setting goals for the future, and I said, think small and positive. I think the same is with rejuvenation. Just the other day, I realized my first appointment, and I'm already, my day is starting to, as uh, you know, as we're coming out of lockdown and people are starting to get vaccinated, I've noticed appointments are starting to get earlier and earlier in the morning. But I, I didn't have an early morning appointment and I decided to take a bath rather than a shower. It's been a long time. And just laying in that nice warm water felt so comfortable. So when I think of rejuvenation, I think of the small things. I have to say in the article that you mentioned in America, there was a comment and one person just quite simply said, I'm signing up for a retreat. So for that person, the uh, a spiritual retreat, you know, for some people, just as we're not being rested in lockdown, um, for some people being by themselves will be important because even though we've been in a bubble and we haven't been socializing, we've still been kind of um, sheltered very closely with some people and some people need the time to be by themselves. So that's another one that's kind of ironic that I think some people need time by themselves um, as they prepare for re-entry into the social life. Um, so I think of the small, small, whatever brings bits of joy and peace, we need to intentionally give ourselves some of those opportunities. And the reason is, is because then we have the energy. If we're rested, we have the energy to be helpful for other people. I think a lot of times now there's been so much happening besides the pandemic in this last year, um, politically and socially, I've also felt like sometimes people have been avoiding um, some activism or some kind of getting out there um, in a way that they would normally want to. And I think it's because people haven't had the energy physically and emotionally. And so rejuvenation is helpful for that as well. Well, Deborah, I just found this piece so helpful at this time. You could feel this, you know, this liminal time as we're moving into to something new. And I, and I just really encourage everyone to, to look at that. So again, we will link to it. And just thank you for reflections uh, that you offered, getting us even a little deeper in, into the piece and uh, your background thinking around it. Before I let you go, though, I, I do want to ask you um, about women's leadership in Jesuit higher ed. So as you were saying, you've been there a couple of decades now. Xavier just named uh, their first ever female president, um, who I guess will be starting next academic year. Is that right? July um, 1. Yep. July 1. So yeah, so coming right up. Um, just curious for you, your own reflections on what you've seen uh, as uh, a woman leader at a high level of a Jesuit institution. How have things changed in the past 20 years? If they have, do you if things gotten better, where do we still need to work? I'm just curious for your perspective on that, yeah. that front. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm very uh, excited. Um, the Jesuit network now will have um, four women of 27. Um, I know mission officers, uh, my, my colleagues, 27 of, or seven of the 27 are, are women. Um, and it's important. So I, I have um, focused some of my work on leadership and in particular women's leadership within the Jesuit network. And I have often asked um, women, and, um, it's usually reflective 
opportunities to reflect on their leadership. But I ask them, uh, remind them that there is a call from 1995, the situation of women. Um, and I, I ask them, what advice would they give the Jesuits, um, the society to support um, and live that call? And the number one response is representation. So it's really important um, to have women in leadership roles. That's what women find most helpful and, um, and, uh, and it is growing. It's important to ask that question. I, I, I love asking, how are we doing? And we continue need to, to do it. Um, we're doing that with racism as well now. Um, but as that all important intersectionality, if we're going to be successful in our call for social justice and creating communities of love, equality, uh, equity and mercy. We need to make sure that we focus on uh, on all aspects of one's identity and help to support that um, to truly live that social justice call. To keep asking, how are we doing? Um, so I live with hope and trust and optimism. I think we're doing well, and uh, I'm looking forward to the future. Well, Dr. Deborah Mooney, thank you again for uh, joining me on AMDG, and, and thanks for all you're doing, and uh, know of my prayers and best wishes for you as you navigate these uh, next months here. Yeah, thank you. We'll all go forth and set the world on fire. That's right. That's right. Even though Ignatius never apparently said that. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we've already done a couple of podcasts on things Ignatius didn't say, um, yeah. which is almost as many as he did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you again. It's a great spirit. Yeah. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.